Welcome to Oregon Rooted. I'm Higher Peaks. And this is Lady Sativa. You're listening to The Dirt Show. Where we bring you Oregon's cannabis culture. Show. I'm Higher Peaks. And this is Lady Sativa. And first, let me say that it is harvest time and it is croptober. Yes, it is. And man, it is busy. This is essentially Christmas the now. The flower is among us. The, the flower is <laughs> among us, which is true. Weed the people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's just busy because it goes on its time schedule. Oregon's been quite wet, mm-hmm. which we'll get to. And so it's caused a lot of people to either pull early or spend moist pull accordingly. Yeah. Fortunately for us, we put our little hoop canopy on. It's not really little, but we put our canopy on. It is and not a hoop. It is a carport. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not bullshit. Okay. More than a hoop, I guess. It is way more than a hoop. So it's basically a greenhouse. Yeah. And I mean, we've had to use a heater and a, a, a large fan mm-hmm. to keep it circulated, but it's actually done real well for us. We ran into slight, just a start of some mold, which I had, you know, um, harvested those plants. But we, you know, we've got a handful that are still out there going just fine. But they're harvested coming down here. And soon. we took them down and destroyed the mold, people, not harvested and made it to gold. Okay. <laughs> which we'll get to. <laughs> First, I want to just say, you know, sorry about that. So we have not been able to put out the episodes we want. We do have the content and we're going to get it out there, but just it's, it's been fucking busy. It's insane though. That's the thing is we're trying what's coming up though. Um, I'm excited. We've got, first of all, sugar tree farms is coming up. That's a big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were out there touring beautiful day. Got some great beautiful. footage that we're going to put out. These guys are awesome. Steve and Nick, and uh, we'll talk more about that, but they're coming up next. They're coming up. Look for them this weekend. Mm-hmm. But like I said, great stuff. These guys are out in central point, Oregon, and they got some killer looking product coming out and some beautiful land out there. It is. It's really gorgeous. We also have full circle farms again, but they're coming out as uh, full, full circle, circle fungi. fungi. Yeah, fungi, fungi, fungi fun- fungi, fungi. Fungi. I like fungi. I'm not sure which one it's proper. Well, they're fun guys, so let's just go ahead and do that. Okay. Yeah, they're looking forward. So here's the deal with that. Oregon in 2020 has an initiative out there for legalizing uh, mushrooms in controlled yep. settings. Yep. And they people are actually kind of gearing up for that. I see a lot of people getting towards that, building you know buildings and labs and stuff mm-hmm. that will accommodate this kind of uh, market. And it looks like that... Even if it didn't go in 2020, it's probably going to go eventually. So these guys are gearing up. And They're going to go towards like it, it took cannabis a little bit too. Exactly. It took it a couple of years to be on the ballot before it did actually become yeah. recreational. And Oregon tends to like, they follow quickly, but they like to have a state or two, you know, like Colorado's doing it. the older people, even though they're the <laughs> yeah. ones that used to do it. So it's right. like, why do we have to season you? You guys are the ones that started smoking weed first. You guys are the one that started with the freaking mushrooms first, but you also on the flip had Reaganomics. So, well, yeah. So it was either or, or I could drugs. see. Yeah. 
so it was it was either either way and it just depended on what kind of family they came from so yeah. it just it goes it goes to show a lot but yeah so but we we kind of venture away from cannabis on this although i think mushrooms and psychedelics kind of go hand in hand mm-hmm especially with seasoned cannabis users. I think a lot of us have dabbled in the psychedelics. People like to put, um, say, more psychedelics like DMT and um, acid and stuff like that in a different category, of course, because it is synthetic. Yeah. It is man-made. Well, DMT, I mean, is not necessarily it's found in... Yes, DMT, not so much, but uh, acid for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though it is a good trip, and yeah. it is a good psychedelic. It cannot be categorized with right. the there, mushrooms. There is, there is yeah, <laughs> some things there. But we look at it as a whole group. And so on that episode, we will be kind of going in that direction of psychedelics. And it's kind of a tester episode to see if our listeners like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that we want to talk about. A lot of people want to talk about. And so we feel like maybe we should bring this as part of our repertoire. Repertoire. So when we bring that out, you know, let us know. Email us on that, organrooted at gmail.com. Email us and let us know the feedback of if you want us to continue adding in some psychedelic uh, episodes mm-hmm. um, and and look into it deeper and bring people on to talk. Or if it's uh, something you don't. Will this be like the Wayne's World ending? The <laughs> There's a lot to talk about. And because we're on the verge of it, we can really start bringing this information out. So I think it's pretty cool. And then I'm going to also kind of fit in a Rust episode. I've been talking about this all year. But, you know, we did Battle Rust all year up until at least late August. Mm-hmm. And I do have a lot of info- information to share. Infomercial? Is that what Infomercial you're to share. <laughs> And, you know, it's it's good stuff, it's bad stuff, it's whatever, but it's a lot more than it's out there right now on the internet. Mm-hmm. So I hope this helps people. And I won't make it long. I'll make it like a little half-hour episode and right. just kind of fit in all that info and tell you guys what I did and what, what worked and what didn't. But I think it's important to know because it is there's a lot of new stuff out there. And with all this stuff in Oregon blowing up when it's, you know, hemp and high CBD, high THC cannabis, there's these new things. Right. A lot more mold, uh, a lot more um, pests like aphids. The hemp aphids are ridiculous. This Absolutely year? fucking ridiculous. I mean, you can walk anywhere in the valley and pretty much be looking at clouds of, of these flying aphids. They're a little bit different than uh, regular aphids. They are a hemp aphid, and they do look like a green-brown aphid on the plant. But right. as we see it right now, apparently some of them can turn into flyers and cause issues. Um, they have been fucking everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Either that or Oregon has been attacked by the world's largest infestation of fungus gnats. <laughs> oh, okay, whatever. It, what is that? The uh, What is locusts? Yeah, those are the big grasshoppers. We're just getting infested with micro locusts. Essentially, yeah, yeah, it's like that. There's a lot of new things that we'll be dealing with. Yes. Even in the upcoming years, and there are going to be new things to, that are challenging. Especially since we are surrounded by a lot of hemp farms. And um, as a good friend of ours did point out, that it's a lot of hemp farms that are still left up that are moldy and issues with that. And I think that's a lot of where these gnats are coming from because of the fact that there well, is a is, lot of moldy weed. Could be. We're, we're literally battling. We're literally battling hemp gnats. <laughs> and uh, no, either aphids and gnats or both at the same time. They're hemp fuckers. <laughs> but you're right. And that so that's how... Uh, the rust fits in is yeah. it's a new thing that we're battling and i want people to be prepared for it if they end up uh, being challenged with that mm-hmm. absolutely in these wet conditions so but with your mold talking about that that fits right in on this episode we sit down with jason wilson 
mm-hmm. curious about cannabis. Now, he's been on before. We talked with him way back when he was with Kenevere, which then turned into Evio Labs. Now he runs his own podcast called Curious About Cannabis. We had talked about that in the previous session that we talked with okay. him and he's now ready to release his first season and so he's geared up ready to go so i encourage you know the listeners out there if you want to see more of the scientific side we don't always touch on that we try to give a little entertainment and and bring some interviews but mm-hmm. he goes into the scientific the deep uh side of it with some pretty serious questions that are tackled and didn't he also bring up the hemp to green gold so the reason i have him back on is because we the mail tribune our local paper had this article called mold to green gold green gold there we go which is very concerning because it didn't come across as a safety article for sure and i'll let jason explain that but bottom line is it's something we need to talk about because this is not going to be an organ problem anywhere there's going to be hemp and cannabis Mm -hmm. especially right now there's a lot of hemp across the nation all you hemp guys out there if mold's an issue in your kind of climate or Take can care be. Of it. Well, uh, so what's happening is our processors here at least have indicated that you can grow, <laughs> that you can somehow a ec- particular processor, not our all of our processors. Well, but we do know of a few brands out there that yes. seem to dabble in that. A mold. couple particular Yes. And we're not gonna use names, but one thing to be aware of is just know know your product. Mm-hmm. And remember that the the cheaper the product, there's a reason why it's so cheap. There's a reason why it's so cheap. So I I know that it's expensive to buy extracts and you don't always have it in your budget, but you need to know where your health crosses that budget line, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay, okay. So with that said- Protect yourself. With that said, Jason brings up several points that we talk about that are really important. You only live once. (laughs) You do, and that's the thing. So we tackle this on this episode, and it's really important because we tackle aspects that people don't even know about. Mm -hmm. So if you're out there in in the state, even nationwide, and you're having product that's going to be turned into extracts, you know, you got to realize that it's, you know, there's more to it than just being able to blast the mold and kill the mold and have it be a safe extract. Right. Right now we had a listener that reached out after this article and we had put it on our Instagram Mm -hmm. and got some good feedback, you know, on that post. And one of them was from a uh, person that is dealing with mycotoxins Mm -hmm. and, So, you know, this all relates back to this issue. This also goes hand in hand with this vape crisis. Mm -hmm. I hate to call it a damn crisis because it's not. It's obviously. (laughs) It was a crisis that got turned into. It's just fucking normal. Just like the tobacco that people smoke. uh, It's going to kill you eventually. So we talk about that as well, but it kind of goes hand in hand. You know, the toxins that are found in extracts mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of things that could be in there that could be causing problems and stuff so we go all into that so with the vape cartridges why don't you tell the listeners real quick what you guys are doing now i know that you guys don't have anything that's fake on the shelf obviously yeah we don't have anything on the shelf that has synthetic synthetic terpenes in it so you don't have to worry about any of that so um anything that has basically food grade terpenes that get put back back into it that has additional flavoring that is not cannabis you know if you can't find it in a fucking cannabis plant <laughs> you're not going you shouldn't be there. smoking it yeah so um, now you guys have been in that kick for a while uh over a year we've we um have what? steered away from artificial terpenes for a long time was that intentional or, or we don't we preferred not to do it actually because sure. we don't like the artificial terpenes we wanted the real shit we yeah. didn't want anything reintroduced and we became really snobby about that way before it became a medical issue yeah, yeah. um 
just yeah. because we prefer that, especially the, the worst, the absolute worst is if you are a dab company that is putting artificial terpenes into your concentrates for dabbing. Yeah. That's the absolute worst too. <laughs> we have had, <laughs> we've oh, yeah. had companies that come through that do that, but we're steering away from the actual topic is, um, no, we haven't had any issues with our cartridges whatsoever. No, we but even of had a sale going for a while just because of the people that were having issues with their cartridges, for example, or that had gotten taken off. Uh, White Label had a fifty percent off sale for, I don't know, at least a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had fifty percent off of our White Label cartridges, all of them, and they flew off the shelf. We yeah, yeah. So now they're back up to normal cost, but well, that's good. Just just with that said, you know, know your brands. Mm-hmm. Watch. No. Know where you get it. Know your brands. Know your dispensary. Know your brands, and um, don't don't get anything with anything extra or synthetic or added like that. Just Fruit go with punch what? tropical. That is not that's not a cannabis strain. <laughs> well, it could be, I guess. Fruit punch that tastes like fruit punch, like <laughs> no, <laughs> no, tropical that tastes like pineapples and mangoes and yeah. no, no. Okay. No. Right. Yeah, we want to keep everybody safe, and there's going to be dispensaries like THC that will only carry uh, safe products. Yeah, but you got to know where you're going, and you got to know where it's coming from. So you want to embrace those really strong terpenes, then get yourself a live resin cartridge. Thanks for the bud tender dispensary no report. Anyway. <laughs> 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 We're not going to hold you up. This is a little bit longer, so we we appreciate it. It's chock full of information, and uh, we hope you enjoy it. Here it is, Jason Wilson, Curious About Cannabis. Like I said, though, check it out. He's going to be releasing it at the end of the month. Hell yeah. Whole first season. He's going to release a few episodes at a time. You can subscribe on all platforms just like ours. Hell yeah. Okay, so that's it. Oregon love. Oregon love. Stay rooted. Stay rooted. All right, Jason, welcome back to the show, buddy. Oh, thanks so much. Always happy to join you once again. Yeah, and I don't really think there's much of an introduction needed. <laughs> At you've, this point. You've been on a ton of episodes and been here since the beginning. So, But I think everybody wants to know what's going on with Curious About Cannabis. Basically, um, at this point, I don't know when people will hear this, but I'm in the process of finishing up the production for the first season. So that's exciting uh, of the podcast and looking to get that out in the last week of October. And uh, there should be a promo that'll come out later this week that should pop up on Spotify for folks that will introduce everyone to a lot of the guests for season one. It won't contain quite everyone because there's a couple more interviews I'm getting over the next few weeks, but it'll give people a good sense of who I've talked to, um, what those all those different people do. I've interviewed doctors, nurses, cultivators, um, different researchers, some big names, some not so well-known names, but a lot of people have a lot of good uh, knowledge to share. So I'm really excited about that. And um, tailing off from that, I'm working on trying to finish up the next edition of the Curious About Cannabis book, taking all the knowledge I've gained from speaking with all of these super knowledgeable people and um, getting all of that updated. So uh, there's a lot coming down the the pipeline. Um, there also, we'll see if I'll be able to get this done in October, November, but they'll also um, start to be curious about cannabis workshops as well for people that are local to the area here in Southern Oregon. I've done them before several years ago, but they're basically kind of college level cannabis science classes for the general public. 
that run about eight weeks and I'm looking forward to getting those going again as well. So now you've been in the podcast game a few months. Yeah. Well, so you got some feedback on that. I mean, it's, it's a tough world out there, isn't it? It's, it's been an interesting <laughs> learning curve for sure. There's a lot that goes into it that, you know, I had some sense of knowing you and, yeah. you know, I haven't talked to you about um, the work you've done with your podcast, but um, man, yeah, there's, there's so much to it. So much time and energy that goes into it. I have a, Definitely a newfound respect for podcasters, especially those like you that are able to keep doing it. And, you know, it's so easy to um, either burn out or just give up because it just takes a lot of energy to keep pumping it out. Yeah. Um, So you have to love it to want to do it. You really do. And, you know, that's something, you know, I love talking to, to folks that have good information to share. I like uh, learning about other people's perspectives on things. And so, I mean, you know, I get a high out of doing interviews. It's so fun. And um, so it's something like, even though I'm wrapping up season one, I'm already booking a ton of interviews for season two. Nice. Um, and so, you know, that's not stopping by any means. And um, I think um, by the time the end of October comes around, I should have around 30 hours of interview content to share, plus another. 10 or 15 hours of additional educational content that I personally will be adding to it. Um, so there'll be a, a lot coming pretty soon. That's great. And it seems like you've had a lot of good feedback. Um, so far, um, you know, obviously the only things I've been able to get feedback on are clips from the interviews that I've yeah. posted on, on YouTube and stuff. Um, but um, yeah, so far people seem to be enjoying it and it's, sparked some good questions and just like I was hoping it would folks getting on YouTube and stuff and posing questions that I hadn't thought of. Um, I knew this going into it, but you know, like in our interview that folks will hear eventually, you know, we talk about that. I don't necessarily come across as like a cannabis guy, um, to the average Joe. And, um, so I have gotten a little bit of feedback about that. Just kind of like, who is this guy? And why is he, you know, coming in on our industry and coming in hot (laughs) (laughs) and um so you know it'll be interesting i i definitely am going to take time during the podcast to introduce myself a little more to folks and help them understand that um i'm definitely not new to this industry despite how i may appear yeah no kidding that's Um, well i gotta admit that when i first met you i i was shocked too i mean isn't that terrible got these built-in prejudices well you know even if you're in Intentions are true. Yeah, I mean, it's we can't help it. It's the yeah. way we survive in the world. But you know, I I come from Mississippi, where you have to keep that stuff under wraps, or you get your whole life ruined. And so, I'm accustomed to living a very um, fragmented, you know, sense of identity, kind of, for better or worse. I don't I don't think it's a good thing necessarily um, to live that way. Um, but it's a it's a part of how I am. I you know I. I'm accustomed to having to present myself as a very, um, I don't know, kind of uh, square Well, and <laughs> on the outside to the public. I guess there's this thing, too, where people think you're it's either black or white, like mm-hmm. you're you're in the scene or you're you're out. So you're right. either all in or all out. And there's a lot of people that enjoy a lot of different things on a lot of different levels. And you just don't happen to be like you don't consume cannabis in the average way that most people would. Yeah. Yeah. Like all the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, and, uh, and people have a hard, not a hard time. Just they're like, well, if you smoke weed, say that's, that's it. You're, you're smoking weed. Right. And well, and, uh, I was in a conversation with my, one of my friends just the other day about, 
you know, the struggle of identity labels and everything. And, um, you know, we've got to be careful not to box ourselves in or other people into certain labels, like uh, they're a cannabis user. Or um, in the context of this particular conversation, I was I was speaking to my friend about, um, you know, I'm also a musician and um, haven't publicly put much of my like artistic work out there in a long time because I'm also a scientist. And, you know, it's like, you've got to be the scientist. And, you know, if I start putting art out there, is that going to change the way people perceive me as, you know, an academic or, you know, some of the work that I do? Um, and, you know, those are very real, um, you know, battles that we have. I think all of us have in our heads over different things. My friend I was talking to, he's uh, farming right now, but he also has all sorts of other interests in like business management and stuff. And he's like, but people know me as the farmer now, you know, like, how do I break out of that to, engage these other passions I have too. And it's like, you know, we're complex human beings. We have all sorts of interests and passions and, you know, we can't be boxed into one thing. Um, but you know, that's what happens a lot of the time. So we kind of have to check ourselves routinely and try to, um, get over some of our anxieties about that. Well, sure. And this legalization process has gotten us to where we've been able to see all the plethora of types of people that are, yeah out there consuming it and have been actually. Yeah. And I, I've been honestly surprised a lot of people that I've, um, talked with, interviewed, met with, um, that even, you know, myself is like, ah, they probably don't use cannabis. I find out they do. Um, and some people that I think that do don't. Um, and, um, so there are all walks of life that are engaging cannabis, engaging all sorts of, of different things. Um, so, yeah, we have to be careful about our prejudices and um, try to notice when that's um, affecting how we're interacting with somebody, that we're not, you know, jumping to conclusions about what that person might have to, to offer and everything. But <laughs> Oh, man. The irony of it is just terrible. I know. Okay. Well, the reason I had you come sit down with this is the Mail Tribune, which is a local paper, mm -hmm. just recently submitted an article, and the title of it was Mold to Green Gold. <laughs> so yeah, yep. um, I wanted to dive into that. Obviously, I was shocked at the article. Uh, it was very, um, I guess in a lot of ways, enlightening to see the current status of not only the knowledge, but mm -hmm. the perspective of, of the industry. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, to give folks some context, um, yeah, there was this article that was published recently. The title was Blasting Mold into Green Gold. And it was an article that talked primarily about concerns cultivators were having about this uh, season here in Oregon, because it's been a pretty mild summer and we're getting uh, more rain and things a little earlier than we normally would. So, you know, there's concern about mold, um, and that's pretty normal. There's always, let's just be real, there's always concern about mold yeah. every cultivation season. But, um, you know, folks are worried that it might be worse this year, and who knows, we'll see. But the, the article primarily followed one company. They interviewed multiple people, but it, it really highlighted one company in particular that uh, was using CO2 extraction to, to extract, I guess, moldy cannabis material and... Um, the 
uh, owner of that company was, you know, basically stating that he wasn't worried about um, mold on cannabis anymore because he's got this extraction technology that can handle it and will kill the mold and, you know, the extract will come out uh, clean of mold. And um, so he was ready to go. And um, the reason the article concerned me for several reasons. I mean, one is it it gave off the impression that that that's something that people should be doing. They should be extracting moldy cannabis, and we'll explain why that's a problem in a second. But um, the other thing is it it was it came across as kind of a marketing piece. Like it was you know it's like well if you have moldy weed send it to this guy and he'll extract it. And and you know I'm not necessarily saying that that was the the intention of the article, but it did come across that way because it was like here's the guy and here's his phone number and you know, this whole thing. And not once in the article did they mention that um, there are additional concerns with moldy material besides the mold itself. And and this gets a little controversial. People are on different sides of this issue. But what I brought up, so I contacted the author of the article to explain my concerns about it. But there were no labs or scientists that were interviewed for the article um, that I saw. They did talk to a representative from... Um, OHA or OLCC, one of the regulatory bodies in, in Oregon, and pointed out some of the issues around Oregon's cannabis testing rules, you know, that mold is not tested for anymore, and that recent audits of the testing program have revealed that, you know, they need to make it a little more rigorous, um, and they're kind of looking at California as a model to uh, maybe tighten some things up. Um, but the article did not mention at all the issue of mycotoxins, and Mycotoxins is something that I think I've talked about before on here. It's something I talk a lot about because it doesn't get talked about very much. And mycotoxins are these chemical byproducts of certain molds, not all molds, but certain molds that um, can be pretty toxic to ingest. I mean, some of them have, uh, so there's a concept called LD50 when you're talking about toxicity, and LD stands for lethal dose, um, 50 stands for uh, 50% of a population. And so an LD50 is basically the dose required to kill half of a population of some organism, an animal, rodents, monkeys, dogs, people, whatever. Um, and the LD50 of, let's say, aflatoxin, which is a mycotoxin, um, and they're I say aflatoxin, and that's kind of an umbrella term, term because there are multiple types of aflatoxin. Um, but um, the LD50 of those compounds can be as low as like 0.03 milligrams per kilogram of body weight, um, which is extremely low for a natural product. Another thing about mycotoxins, and there are also mycotoxins called ochratoxins. Ochratoxins and aflatoxins are the most common mycotoxins found in cannabis products. And there's not a whole lot of data on them because not a lot of states require testing for mycotoxins. Um, California requires it. I think Nevada does, if I'm not mistaken. Someone correct me if I'm wrong on that. And um, and then there are a variety of companies that are doing research into this, like um, Waters. The company Waters makes analytical equipment, and they've been working with different groups um, all over the country that are using their equipment to try to understand how big of an issue it are mycotoxins with uh, cannabis. And, um, I used some of their equipment back in the day and did side testing of cannabis flower to try to detect mycotoxins. And in one sample, we, we definitely did see it and we didn't do much testing. I mean, we did like 15 tests. It was a very small little project just to, 
um, see what we would find. And, um, you know, sure enough, we detected it. Now, searching for mycotoxins is different than searching for mold. Right. So, so what I did in those studies is I, um, you know, we were doing mold testing at the time because Oregon state rules required mold testing then. And any mold test that I saw that would come up that had um, certain um, sort of organoleptic characteristics about them, really dark molds, um, there's kind of certain smells and things that would go off of too that basically put those aside and we had this collection of sort of suspect samples that we then go back through and and do mycotoxin testing for and um and yeah we we saw it um it wasn't a quantitative test we just saw that there was definitely you know um above i think it was a can't remember what the action level was now because this was years ago. The point being is that I know that mycotoxins are around in cannabis products um, because I've seen it with my own eyes. Um, and that's been corroborated with other scientists I've talked to, other um, companies that are doing that work. Um, it's not super common, um, but it is a, an issue. Um, and now, those toxins are present whether or not the material has been combusted. Right. So um, the important point about mycotoxins is you can kill the mold that produced them, but those mycotoxins are still going to be there. They're very stable. Like it takes, um, I can't remember off the top of my head what the temperature is, but it takes really, really high temperatures to degrade them. Um, they're very, um, they're very, very stable. They also accumulate in tissues in the body over time too. So with repeated exposure, um, those levels increase in the body until you reach a tipping point. And so the, the tricky thing about mycotoxins is you get exposed to them, you don't necessarily exhibit any symptoms right away. Um, you might not exhibit symptoms for years. Um, but with repeated exposure, your body can get to a point where it just can't take anymore. Um, and then you can start to exhibit symptoms. And, you know, one of the unfortunate things about mycotoxins is that they're carcinogenic. So they can cause cancer. And there have been numerous epidemiological studies showing different towns and uh, cultures across the country that have had exposure to contaminated foods that have mycotoxins in them. They you know, can see these mycotoxin levels changing in the blood, and they see these correlations with cancers and different things. So it's a, it's a now recognized issue that mycotoxins have to be controlled for in foods and, you know, that sort of thing. And like I said, some newer states that are onboarding testing rules for cannabis are including mycotoxins. Oregon's not one of those places. So we just don't have a data set to understand how prevalent it is, um, when it's likely to show up, any sort of cues, markers, you know, to look for for producers to try to mitigate that risk. It's just kind of going under the radar. And then mold testing is not required either. So labs aren't even seeing... There was a lot of pushback about the mold testing when it was happening because it was a very generic mold test. Um, it didn't differentiate different types of molds or anything. It was just like colony counts. You know, uh, we basically would extract a sample, put it in a um, you know a petri dish or something, incubate it, see what grows, and count the number of mold colonies that were growing on that plate. But we'd have all sorts of different species of molds that are growing in there. So a lot of people didn't like that because one complaint was that folks that were using certain microbiological inoculants felt like they were failing at greater rates when they were using fungal inoculants and things that 
didn't present a risk to public health and safety. Now there's some debate to even be had over that. Um, but that was one of the complaints. And um, another complaint was that people were failing for yeast counts as well, which they thought were you know not a public health and safety issue. And so the state eventually nixed um, the mold testing. And instead, the testing they have now is basically around moisture, looking at moisture content and water activity, which is essentially the relative humidity uh, around the sample. Like, is the water moving? And if the water is able to move, that means it can be available to microorganisms to use uh, to grow out. You know, coming back around to all of this, you can run moldy material in an extractor, and yes, you can kill the mold. Um, the pressure inside some of these systems can even destroy mold spores, and, you know, that's great. But if there are mycotoxins present, those mycotoxins are likely to concentrate just the same as the cannabinoids are going to, as pesticides would, all sorts of things. Um, so it's a it's an issue that, like a lot of things in the cannabis industry right now, is kind of a big question mark as far as how concerned do we need to be about it. But it is it is a risk that people should be aware of. Um, and another another side to this too is that just backing away from toxins and that sort of thing for a bit, when a plant gets infected with um, a fungus or a virus, you know, different things, it changes the phytochemistry of that plant. Um, and I I should have examples ready, and unfortunately I don't, but um, there are all sorts of different changes that happen with the way that plant starts to use its energy um, sometimes it can upregulate certain um, antifungal compounds to try to fight the infection. Um, sometimes it just um, has really low yields of certain uh, chemicals. So the point being is that molding material is going to be, um, it's going to have a very different chemical profile than something that isn't moldy. It's going to affect cannabinoid content is going to affect terpene content on top of presenting risks with, um, you know, potentially mycotoxins or, or even, um, you know, exposure to, to other things, spores and stuff, depending, you know, all, all depends on the extraction setup and exactly what's going on. Um, so I, I was alarmed reading that article because the article seemed to imply that this is something people should be doing. Um, well, even the fact that if it implies that it could be done seems a little, mm. yeah, it just, it just, it bothered me that some of those risks to consumer safety weren't brought up. And I know there'll probably be pushback on this. Cause like I said, there are, there are people out there that kind of scoff at the idea that mycotoxins are anything to worry about at all in the first place. But that was also happening with all sorts of things. And we're now, um, identifying all sorts of new health risks with cannabis products that we weren't aware of, you know, five years ago. And some of that gets into some of these issues with the extracts. Um, you know, in California, they're finding that in cheap vape cartridges, uh, you get leaching of metals into the extracts and stuff. Obviously, the vaping issue now with, you know, there's now 13 reported deaths from um, vaping. There's there are a number of risks that, while they may be small, I mean, when it affects somebody, it's not a small issue, you know? Well, and we'll get to the vape, but let me ask you this before we move on. What do you think would be better for Oregon to test for mold or test for mycotoxins? Because it sounds like if, if you don't have the latter, that um, that mold may not be an issue. 
Right. I, I don't want to present it like that, but yeah, yeah. What are we really worried about? Are we worried about the mold? Or are we worried about the mycotoxins from the mold? And what should we be looking for? Yeah, both maybe. I mean, in an ideal world, it'd be both. You know, with testing rules, there's there's so much. It's such a balancing act because you've got to balance. You know, what's the cost of testi- testing actually going to be that the producer is going to have to absorb at the end of the day? Um, how is that testing actually going to provide value to both the producer and the consumer? And so it's a balancing act. You know, when the um, testing rules were being proposed for the adult use uh, market several years ago, they actually proposed requiring testing for, um, I believe it was four different species of mycotoxin-producing molds. Um, and then that got nixed. They also were going to require E. coli and salmonella testing, and that got nixed as well. Well, it's kind of a soft nix. There's still language in the rules that say they could require it if they ever wanted to, but it's not something that they are required to test for regularly, which, um, you know, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a tricky thing because part of my perspective comes from, you know, the natural products industry and thinking about, um, good manufacturing practices and, um, whether or not, a government body requires you to test for certain things, there should be a uh, motivation uh, to go above and beyond to prove the safety of products um, regardless. Because as a producer, you are assuming a responsibility to public health and safety, to the to the health and safety of your consumers to some extent. And so there's part of me that's like, yeah, the, you know, the state should require for more testing. But really, there's a bigger part of me that wants producers to take that on themselves and to use it as a value-added proposition for their products to say like you know regardless of what the state requires we've tested for you know all of these things and we know that our stuff is you know safe and we're controlling for these things you know the e coli salmonella thing um that really pops up in my head because any any producers that i consult in helping them um get their operations more to like gmp standards you know you know those are basic things that I would highly recommend them test for, regardless of what's required by the state. Um, just because, I mean, if someone does get sick from your stuff and they decide to sue you, you know, what do you, what then? It's a lot better to have some protection Shut on your you end. Shut you down. Yeah. So, you know, so the state thought about requiring those four specific um, mycotoxin-producing species. I'm not even sure that would be enough or not. I mean, they were all aspergillus species, and there are mycotoxins that come from other genera of uh, fungi besides aspergillus, but um, it definitely would have been a, a good start. Um, yeah, I. It's, it's really hard for me to say. I do wish that mycotoxin testing was required at least for a while so we could get a data set to understand how big of an issue it actually is, and then things could maybe be adjusted after that. You know, I also wish metals were being tested for in products, um, you know, for the reasons I, I just mentioned, that there's all sorts of leaching and other issues that come about that he, even if you make a clean cannabis extract, you can still end up with contaminated extract just in how it's packaged and delivered to the consumer. So we had a listener reach out hmm. um, when I posted that article, mm-hmm. explained that she was concerned because she was a cannabis user mm-hmm. and she currently had 
mycotoxin poisoning. Is that poisoning? Is that what they say? Yeah, I mean... It's some sort of condition? Yeah, it's... Uh, oh, man, I had the word at the tip of my tongue just a minute ago, but it's... Depending on the source of the mycotoxin, uh, it'll have the... Like, if it's an aflatoxin-based um, condition, it'll have, like, the aflatoxidosis. I think that's what it is, aflatoxidosis, something like that. Okay. Or ochre toxidosis. Right, um, right. Yeah. And I didn't want to get into details, because obviously it's a sensitive subject. Yeah, And sure. I don't, you know, know this person directly. But they are going through a long-term hospital, on and off hospital visits. I don't know all the details, but mm -hmm. from what I could gather, uh, quite a been quite a big battle and it's caused, it's affected her kidneys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I believe the liver. Yeah. Um, and so she's had to go back and have further treatments. Uh, I don't, I mean, this is brutal. And with the pain that she's been experiencing mm -hmm. and stuff, uh, and with the diets that they want her to do and stuff like that, cannabis has been helpful, but she's really concerned now. Yeah. It's like you don't want to add any. Right. You don't right. want to yeah. make, make it worse. harder. Yeah. How do you know? And so she expressed concern. And that, that again, really kind of alerted me. I'm like, wow. So there's people out there that already have this, mm -hmm. could be using cannabis. Mm hmm. And that's, that's a scary proposition. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what I worry about is that, you know, there are folks out there trying to treat medical conditions and are finding some relief from cannabis. And I worry that they're secretly making some of their conditions worse um, if they're not using high quality, you know, cannabis materials. Sure, and how would you that. even know? Well, see, that's the thing, you know, you know in Oregon where that kind of testing is not required. I mean, so something I've talked about before is we have a perception issue with consumers and producers, but particularly with consumers, when consumers hear that something's tested, they assume it's safe. And I don't expect people to have to learn all the ins and outs of testing and regulations and everything um, to, you know, make their, their, you know, choice of purchase, you know, or whatever. Um, it's, I mean, people have limited bandwidth and time. People have a million things going on, so they, they can't, sit and get hours of lectures on, you know, how to interpret all of this stuff. Um, but it's, it's a major issue that in all these different states with cannabis that's been legalized, there are different testing rules in different states. And But to a consumer, if they hear something's tested, they assume it's safe, and they assume everything that's been tested is all safe. And that's just not the case, unfortunately. Um, you know, it matters what things were tested for. And once again, this, this relates back to the vaping stuff that we'll get into a bit. But, um, you know, in the state of Oregon, if you're buying cannabis products, there really is no way for you to know whether that product is free of mycotoxins or not. What you can do is try to understand the producer and try to find producers that seem to exhibit dedication to really high quality and that um, have commitments to not use moldy material and take pride in that. And then you probably can feel a little better about, you know, that risk being mitigated. Otherwise, you know, you can ask a producer whether they're getting things tested for mycotoxins, um, you know, to go above and beyond state regs. Um, but, you know, that can be complicated too. There are a lot of cannabis testing labs in the state that um, don't have the resources to do that testing. Now, if there's a consumer demand for that testing, they may onboard the technologies and things they need to do that. Um, you know, testing for mycotoxins, there are different ways to do it. There are cheaper ways to do it, and there are really expensive high-tech ways to do it. Um, some of the equipment that labs are already using for pesticide testing, um, they can use for mycotoxin testing no problem. 
Um, it's just a matter of knowing that, you know, that's a service that they need to be ready to provide. So, you know, those of you that are listening, if you're in the state of Oregon or in any state that has regulated cannabis use and has testing rules and there's not a requirement for mycotoxins and it's something you think, you know, that that's a data point that, that should be available, um, you need to communicate to your labs that that's a service um, that you expect and that you want. And once the labs know that the demand is there enough that it'll be you know financially viable for them to onboard that method, um, then they'll do it. I don't even see um, the cost of it being an issue except for maybe from the growers, but I don't see the consumers, even if it gets passed down, would have a problem. Usually health, especially in the cannabis world, seems to be a right well, more of a top priority. And something I always wondered you know, in Oregon, we've got this weird three streams of, of cannabis commerce. You've got the medical program, you've got the adult use program, and you've got hemp. When that was all getting um, split up as the adult use system was coming on board and then later hemp, I had always hoped that the medical program maybe would be preserved by having stricter testing requirements for uh, for the medical program so that things that were sold under the guise of the medical program would be objectively a higher quality than those things on the adult use market so that if someone is treating a medical condition, um, they could get medical grade um, products. Well, absolutely. You wouldn't want to be immune compromised. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, this relates to all sorts of stuff. You know, in Oregon, we test for, you know, about 60 pesticides, but there are well over 400 or so we could be testing for no problem. But we have to be careful. You know, it's a critical conversation that as an industry we need to have um, because, you know, going back to what I said earlier, it's like, do you want this demand coming from the government or is it something the industry is going to take upon itself? And in other industries, it, it is typically adopted uh, by the industry itself as trying to um, stand out among competitors and protect their uh, themselves from legal liability. Um, you know, that it just makes sense to do, you know, a lot of testing. Folks just have to figure out what kind of quality of cannabis they want and and ask for that. And if they don't care about mycotoxins or if it turns out that mycotoxins aren't a big deal after all. But I don't, I don't necessarily want to advocate that the government should be shoving that down everyone's throat either. Mm-mm, no, and I do know that there are other processors in the area that they're blasting material that is questionable. Yeah, yeah, but, totally. You know, it's what, been going on for a long time. Yeah, and that's the thing. I, I just actually th- these people that I that I'm talking about actually almost don't flaunt it, but they just they mm-hmm. don't hide it for sure. Right. And it's like, and the really weird thing is that you can see the quality on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Like the people that are putting in that much effort, mm-hmm. turning mold to gold. It's you can see that in the overall quality because it's just crap. And I, I know that people have a budget. Well, but it, I mean, you can you, you can tell by some of this product as well. Not, I'm not saying that the mold makes the product look bad, but I'm saying that the care and love that goes into someone that's going to use moldy mm-hmm. cannabis tends to show up in the final well, product. And it does it does affect taste. I mean, yeah, um, yeah. among other things. So, you know, there are characteristics of these materials, and then producers have different ways of dealing with that. There are different refinement techniques you can do to deal with with some of those issues of taste and and color and smell. Um, you know, you can remove components that contribute to that. You can add back in uh, components to make it taste better. You know, there's, and then I have 
all sorts of issues with that. I have I have very serious concerns about the levels of terpenes and some of the extracts that are on the market right now. Natural levels from the concentration, or are you talking like reintroduced? I'm talking reintroduced. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you know, concentrations that are getting above eight, ten percent that would never naturally occur. You know, it's just something that these big unknowns. We just don't have long-term health data on people heating up and inhaling, you know, all of these, these terpenoids. And so, you know, I'm, I'm working on a paper with one of my colleagues right now, um, about that issue, about the toxicity of terpenes and cannabis and, you know, whether that's an issue that, you know, we need to look at. I mean, a lot of, a lot of terpenes are used as pesticides. A lot of pesticides are very chemically similar to a lot of terpenes. I mean, terpenoids, it's a huge chemical class. Um, and so assuming that, that all terpenes are, are safe, um, is kind of a silly idea. There are a number of different concerns I have about cannabis products, at, particularly as it relates to extracts. I don't worry as much about sort of the old school extracts, you know, keef and hashish and um, even crude and absolute cannabis extracts that don't have much added to them. I don't have as many concerns, although I do worry about effects of chronic use really chronic use of high concentrations of cannabinoids. I mean, it definitely affects your body in different ways. Um, but um, particularly, I'm, I'm really concerned about additives and using low-quality materials, that sort of thing. Along with the terpenes, it's funny that you had said about, like, the uh, pesticide, uh, you know, terpenes can and are used for a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. I grew lemongrass this year and without knowing, I, I like growing certain herbs. Mm -hmm. I do like them for the garden, for growing cannabis. Good uh, companion plants. They're and, great companion yeah. plants. They, they offer a bit of extra smell, so mm -hmm. you get a variety of smells. We like to dry things. Anyway, I didn't realize growing lemongrass, um, it does grow like an herb. That sucker, mm -hmm. if you feed it, boy, it's going to oh, yeah, grow. Yeah. And so at the end of the year, I'm, I'm looking up how to harvest and use it. You know, So I, I pull off a a stem and it's got a little stalk and then the long leaf and i was researching and it says it's citronella mm -hmm. that's what yeah, it is yeah. it's lemongrass is citronella which is a huge um pest deterrent yeah, yeah. for for a lot mm -hmm. of things mosquitoes yep uh, flies stuff like that and i'm like wow so and you if you you can take your finger and run it right down the, the bottom of that mm -hmm. stalk and it just smells yeah, just yeah. like the stuff you'd buy at walmart yep which I'm sure it's not the same exactly, right? Right. But uh, interesting enough. So I was really shocked. I'm like, wow! And it smelled just like it. I could have put that right on a candle right then, and <laughs> you know, no mosquitoes. Yeah. But very interesting. So well, that's what makes them good companion plants. Man, I'll tell you, it was just, it was a shock though to realize just how potent mm -hmm. that particular terpene or that mm -hmm. essential oil um, was when it comes to pass and stuff like mm -hmm. that yeah uh, i mean you know you just got to think about how the plants are using these compounds and that mm -hmm. um you know they're not making these compounds to smell good to humans i mean arguably some of them might they be, may yeah um as far as how we've co-evolved to a large extent um you know they're producing these things to respond to their environment to defend themselves and to communicate yeah essentially as tools uh, yeah exactly yeah and um, and talk about a big toolkit yeah huge toolkit and it's um you know, it, this is like a common theme that comes up in a lot of talks that I have with people. But, you know, we just got to be really, really careful not to oversimplify things. You know, assume that, um, you know, because something is safe in some contexts, that it's safe in all contexts. Um, and that is a theme that is recurring a lot 
in ca- the cannabis world right now. Um, once again, talking about additives and things running, you know, around like something being safe in certain concentrations and certain applications. Does that mean it's also safe in a totally different application in totally different concentrations? Not necessarily. Um, no, and I've noticed I've done some research recently on like looking at MSDS sheets and, oh, yes. and data yes. sheets of certain chemicals and stuff. Yep. And believe it or not, there's really not a lot of information mm-hmm. on these chemicals and and um, and products that uh, you know when they're being combusted mm-hmm. or used at certain temperatures. Yep. And something can be really safe, you know, eating it edibly, like consuming mm-hmm. it through your stomach. Uh, and and things can be a lot. A lot of things can be safe, not being burnt or right. even elevated temperatures but once you start to elevate the temperatures and and or combust mm-hmm. something it completely i mean the molecules are then changing right and then that could be when it does become and people just always leave that step out don't leave it out it's just there's not much info either out there right and, and there aren't a ton of people talking about it it's just not raised to a high level in the you know, in the shared consciousness of consumers and producers yet. And so, you know, we're going through these growing pains. Um, Hopefully not cancer pains. Right. Yeah, I know. You know, but yeah, talking about safety data sheets. Yeah. I mean, I've spent so many hours looking at safety data sheets and a couple things about safety data sheets that I think people should know. Um, One is always look at the intended use of the compound featured on the safety data sheet. And that, um, I say that for multiple reasons. I mean, one is obviously you want to use something for its intended use um, because um, that intended use usually is supported by some amount of data that shows that it's safe. Um, But this also relates to the concept of grass, generally regarded as safe, a designation that, um, you know, the the FDA extends to certain certain products, um, natural products and things. And I think... I know that there is among at least some people, and it seems to be a lot of people, that there's a misconception about what grass means and and how it's applied to products. And this uh, mainly comes about because there's just no way we can get away from the vaping thing. But I remember on social media some time ago, a producer posted a link to a safety data sheet for an additive they were using and i believe it was tocopherol acetate vitamin e acetate and they were showing uh they were like look it's it's a grass compound and um you know it shouldn't be a big deal stop freaking out about it and um i was like well let's just look at that safety data sheet and one the intended use was for topical administration and uh, for this particular safety data sheet that i was looking at and um secondly <laughs> grass a grass designation only applies to an intended use and the fda makes that very clear that even though the fda has lists of things that are grass compounds there's a clause in there that specifically says you know it's only for an intended use and so when you look at a safety data sheet it doesn't matter if that compound is grass or not it's only grass for that listed intended use so um, in this particular instance of looking at tocopherol acetate um you know and it said topical use like okay well it might be generally regarded as safe but only for topical use and you know not when you're inhaling it and then further beyond that you go and you look at um 
different exposure methods and um, sort of what the corrective actions are for those exposure methods, you know, like you'll see on a safety data sheets. If it gets in your eyes, you know, wash your eyes immediately and that sort of thing. Well, there there are sections for, you know, what happens if you um, are exposed to fumes, and so in inhalation effects. And then there's also a category of serious inhalation, which that's where vaporizing and smoking and things will come into play. That's serious inhalation. You're, you know, you're intending to really bring that into your lungs. And a lot of these safety data sheets say no data available. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what it, mm-hmm. And, and a lot of these just for basic inhalation will say, you know, uh, don't be exposed to fumes. If you are exposed to fumes, get to fresh air, et cetera, et cetera. Now there's a debate over like, is that language in there just as a precautionary thing? Right. And they don't really know. Well, you know, in a lot of cases, probably sure. But I mean, that's something we can, we need to be real about. Like, we don't know a lot about some of these things in the context, like you just said, of, of vaping and smoking. And um, so, you know, there's a lot of caution that needs to be had on the product on the producer side, but also the consumer side. At this stage of the game, it's important for consumers to understand how to critically evaluate producers, understand what's in products, and understand that they can go online and look up a safety data sheet really easily and um, get used to interpreting those. Um, As well as, of course, I always recommend ask for test results, ask for the certificate of analysis, and and look at that too. And something I plan on doing in my workshops is helping people understand how to interpret um, certificates of analysis, safety data sheets, all that sort of thing. Because I've I think I mentioned in one of our last talks, but um, you know, I've definitely taken for granted that that people understand how to read uh, documents like that, and um, I've I've learned that it's not as straightforward as as I've taken it because I've just spent so much time looking at them. I don't even think about it, but uh, folks that have never looked at that before, it's it can be a lot to take in sometimes. So, you know, sprays, foliars, nutrients, all that stuff that we're kind of briefly touching on here. Even though, and I just wanted this is I wanted to mention it is that just because we're using organic things does not mean it's not. <laughs> yeah. And I think yeah. that a lot of people get lost in that too. Well, what I'm using is organic, or it's OMRI listed, or mm-hmm. I mean CDFA. It doesn't matter. I mean, if you're CDFA listed, you're not going to get cancer, right? Because you get cancer in California from everything. <laughs> Prop but if 65. you're li- but if you're listed with the CDFA, then it shouldn't give you cancer anyway. Um, with that said, just be careful too because. Even looking at MSDS sheets on organic stuff, mm-hmm. um, I was tr- I was trying to find information the other day on. There's a fungicide that you can use it. It's listed organic, mm-hmm. OMRI listed. It's called Garden Foss, and it's a phosphorus based. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, they use phosphoric acid, um, and in and of itself is a nutrient. So the phosphorus mm-hmm. is a nutrient. Now this particular molecular structure or whatever is not so usable by the plant. The plant uses it, but not as it would a nutrient. But I'm like looking, trying to find, okay, well, if this is a good fungicide and it's organic, is it okay to consume, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's inhalation or vaporizing or whatever? Couldn't find anything on it. MSDS sheets, same thing. Mm-hmm. Not known, not known. Yeah. Or or waived. It says waived a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, meaning they don't either don't know or haven't even attempted to right. tackle that subject. Yeah. yeah. And so... What it gets down to, what I did find is I started breaking down the chemicals of what would happen. So if you burned the like mono and dipotassium phosphates, mm-hmm. what did it break down to? And I did find information on that. So if you dig deeper, I dug so deep that it, and the only reason I found out is because the MSDS sheets um, had information on if there was a fire. 
Ah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so the information was directed towards like emergency personnel, yeah, what to yeah, do. Yeah, and and yeah. I was able to find that mono and dipotassium salts of phosphoric acid, um, even though it is essentially a nutrient, when you burn that, it mm -hmm. turns into phosphorus oxides. Mm -hmm. Those in themselves, then you can see a data sheet on the phosphoric right, oxides, right. which I looked into and found out that that's the carcinogen. Mm -hmm. So when you combust it, it turns into the oxide. The oxide on the sheet, it even says it's a carcinogen. But I did have to go down and, mm -hmm. and read. And Good so, detective work. <laughs> took a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I kind of figured it out. Okay, well, get down to the real component after it's been combusted. Mm -hmm. you know, the, the molecule, and then look up that data sheet and then look for, you know, if there was a fire in the a building, yeah. it's usually in that section. So yeah. I was like, oh, okay, I Yeah, that's it. a that's a really good point. And so completely organic, not on, it's not on the list of do not use on organ. Right. You could essentially use it, I would assume, past tests, mm -hmm. but it's a carcinogen, organic carcinogen. Right. Well, and another, you know, point that you're touching on that is really important um, for people to think about is that, you know, you can have all of the information you want about the chemistry of a product that you're about to ingest, but as soon as you heat it up, you're changing that chemistry. And so it's important to look for research on, um, you know, the vapors and smoke of, um, of different products. You know, there's research that's been done on cannabis and cannabis extracts and stuff that's looked at, you know, what's coming into the vapor streams and the smoke streams. And, you know, those are totally different compounds than, you know, what a cannabis testing lab is, is testing for, you know, all those terpenes and cannabinoids. Like, I mean, when you're pyrolyzing stuff, there's all sorts of chemical changes happening. And, um, and that affects uh, the safety profile of products. Um, you know, it's one reason why you're, you're not going to find a medical doctor that's going to recommend, you know, that you smoke something. Um, right. You know, because there's a lot of unknowns with that. Well, and know? even with the full control of a really high-end digital vaporizing unit, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you're still going to touch. You can't make that temperature only, you yeah. know, vaporize just just <laughs> THC. You're going right. to get some some play on some other chemicals. And yeah, exactly. So even with that controlled, it seems like you could still run the risk of mm -hmm. having some leach in there that that may not be good even at a real low temperature right or a right. low temp dab say yeah and i think um if anyone listening has like interacted with like a digital volcano um which i i have um the you know you can set your temperatures nice and low and um get a true vapor um but that vapor can be really irritating and some of that is because some of these terpenes are pretty irritating compounds yeah. to the lungs i've heard that monoterpenes forgive me for exactly, the lack yes. of you no know, they yep Okay, so this is what, yeah. So I've gotten that monoterpenes can be a heavy um, irritant. Yeah, especially like limonene and um, things that are chemically similar to limonene um, can can be really irritating, and especially when these monoterpenes um, oxidize. They become usually more irritating, um, can sometimes even elicit allergic reactions from people and stuff. So something that um, some listeners might not be aware of, but a lot of people that were using volcanoes and stuff um, back in the day uh, complain because uh, they would cough a lot. Yeah. Even though they were vaping, um, they would cough a lot. And funny enough, um, that issue is what over time has led to um, extracts being uh, mixed with certain uh, other agents to help reduce that effect and to make it easier to take nice draws from a vaporizer 
you know, from a cannabis extract and a vape pen and not, you know, just cough a lot. So, you know, that's why um, recently in the midst of um, all these vaping issues, a company, Constance Therapeutics, um, came out and responded to that because they have a patent on uh, vitamin E in extracts and um, vitamin E acetate has, you know, been called out as one of these potential culprits in some of these um, lung diseases that are happening with, with vaping. And, um, you know, the, they pointed out in their, their public response to that issue that um, the reason vitamin E started to get incorporated into extracts was because um, when people were truly vaping, they were coughing a lot and it was causing problems. And so it, you know, helped soothe the lungs and allowed them to, you know, be able to, you know, use that extract without having such a coughing fit. So we've got this vape, um, national vape issue going on, and it kind of came out of nowhere, which is kind of funny because... Sort we, of. Well, I mean, yeah. to the public eye. Right, yeah. It had been developing for the past three or four years. Sure, it sure. just kind of hit a tipping point. But before it really became just everybody knows about it. Um, kind of a public health scare, if you will. Yeah, yeah. And which is really interesting because there's a lot, there's a freaking ton of facets to this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot. A, a, lot. a lot of facets. There's, there's different markets. There's different industries in this. There's legal and black. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, you know, nicotine and THC and hemp now, mm-hmm. CBD, all these different things. Um, right, vaping. Just the term vaping means a lot of different just, things it, now. So many facets. Yeah. And I would like to start off because it hits close to home, but these black market people, mm-hmm. that was the nicest thing I could come up with. <laughs> Guised as, I should even say disguised as packaging companies mm-hmm. yeah, yeah yeah unfortunately they only provide packaging to black market apparently mm-hmm. hmm, go figure but there was a huge article not a huge there was an article that was uh that showed that these five top um, branding packaging companies had uh, like 85 somewhere in there don't quote me 85 80 percent somewhere in there um percent of this micro can you say it microbutanol microbutanol yeah okay. yeah Mm-hmm. which is known by many brand names. One of them is Eagle 20, mm-hmm. which is, blo- this blows me away. A fungicide. I mean, this, I, I understand back in the nineties, you know, Eagle 20 was probably the only thing on the shelf, maybe some Met 52. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. But that was it. Black market. I'm sure we smoked a lot of that back then, but there's no damn reason to be having that stuff now. Right. There's too many options. Even other unsafe options mm-hmm. aren't as bad as that right. one. Yeah. But now they're finding it in this high percentage of carts out there on the black market. So bottom line is these black market growers or wherever this cannabis is coming from, it's just being nuked mm-hmm. and then put in carts. So there, there's just one major issue. But then you can break it down into the vitamin E. Mm-hmm. You can break it down into the heavy metals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, even the terpenes. Heavy, I was just going to say heavy terpenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the concentrated product in in itself, the whole the whole range of the concentrated product. Um, the fact that you can have approved organic products that still can be mm-hmm. bad. All these things. I think now we're at these crossroads of kind of what we're going to do. But starting with the microbutanol issue, I mean, this is an issue that came up in Oregon years ago. Prior to the current pesticide list being agreed upon and made into rule uh, to require all cannabis products to be tested for the pesticides that are tested now, um, some of the labs that were doing kind of extended pesticide testing beyond what the state was requiring previously, they were finding microbutanol um, in a lot of samples. It was one of the major, um, you know, commonly found pesticides. And the issue with microbutanol is fungicide. 
it's a fungicide like you said commonly found in equal 20 and when it's heated um i hope it don't mess this up but it becomes hydrogen cyanide yes and um which is very toxic mm. um so yes yeah, some of the studies uh, so to provide some context on the vaping issue right now that's going to tie into all of this so um starting around I think it was 2016 or so there started to be reports of lung illnesses from vaping um 2017 i think was when one of the first deaths was reported you know this started to get looked at but there was no sense of how serious of an issue it was whether some of these lung illness cases were um anomalies you know uh, individuals that were just particularly susceptible what was going on um fast forward to 2019 Recently, we had the second death reported in Oregon um, from vaping. These reported deaths, which now span, you know, I think 11 different states now, 10 or 11, um, you know, it's prompted the FDA and the CDC um, to look very closely at this. And so um, already the FDA has been going around for the past several years collecting products off the shelves and doing testing and trying to understand what is in a lot of CBD products, cannabis products, all sorts of things. And just people haven't really been that aware of it. Um, and, you know, the CDC is doing their own testing now. And so in some of that work that they were doing, uh, getting to what you were bringing up, they collected the most popular brands of black market uh, vaporizer cartridges that people were using and found that, you know, basically all of them were testing positive for mycobutanol. On top of that, they were also finding that in a separate study that they did found that a lot of them were uh, cut with um, vitamin E acetate, also called tocopherol acetate, tocopherol is vitamin E. Um, and then some of them more broadly were being cut with mineral oil, which contains um, a lot of times vitamin E or vitamin E acetate as a stabilizing agent for the mineral oil. And so... The vitamin E thing is is concerning for several reasons. I mean, the the main issue that is getting brought up a lot now is this concept of of lipoid pneumonia or lipoid pneumonia, also called exogenous lipid pneumonia. And basically what that term means is that you've inhaled fatty things, lipids, into your lungs and they've coated your lungs and disabled your lungs from being able to do what they're supposed to do. Um our bodies are not designed to inhale lipids. They're just not. And so that's a, a major concern. Now, um, the last stat that I looked at today, which was reported, I think, yesterday, is that there are now over 800 cases of respiratory illnesses linked to vaporizing. And most of those are linked to vaporizing cannabis products. Um, while there are some that are being reported around nicotine vaporizing, a lot of this is coming from cannabis. Why is that? Well, one part of that is that, you know, the way that cannabis extracts are formulated for vaporizer pens is just different than how nicotine e-juices are, are formulated. And e-juices have their own issues. Um, but cannabis extracts are a little unique in that when you make this hyper-concentrated cannabis extract, it's... If, you've, if anyone's ever played with the, you know, a highly refined distillate, it's like hot glue. It's very, very thick, and it's a semi-solid, really, at that point. And um, so in order to make it usable for a vape pen, um, folks have to make it runny again so that it'll flow. 
and and depending on the type of vaporizer cartridge that it'll um, you know get wicked or you know whatever it needs to do, and so they'll cut the extract with something, and they could cut it with a variety of different things. Some people are cutting extracts with other cannabinoids that are helping it to be runny. Some are using terpenes, which terpenes among being used for all sorts of things like pesticides. They're also solvents. Um, some of them are pretty pretty good solvents, and so. They'll add things like limonene and other things to um, help, you know, uh, reduce the viscosity of, of the extract. So it'll work well in a vape pen. And then um, some are using things like mineral oil and, and other uh, suspect things. There's probably a big push for thicker vapor, too. There is. I mean, it, it, there is. Yeah. It's I a mean, mental thing. Yeah. There's, you know, people like being able to exhale these huge clouds, clouds bro. of vape. Yeah. And there are videos on YouTube, Instagram, you know, of people doing fairly impressive things with the oh, vapor yeah. coming out, making all sorts of shapes and, mm-hmm. you know, interesting things. Um, it's, it's evolved. at the expense of breathing oxygen, but Hey, it's... right. Yeah. Carbon monoxide poisoning. Who needs that? You know, who, who's worried about that? Um, but it's definitely evolved well beyond smoke rings, which, you know, in my lifetime, that's, all I've been grandpa ain't got shit on this. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, there's a lot going on. And so as far as the concerns go, there are concerns over pesticide contaminants. There are concerns over thickening agents and, and different, um, added solvents, um, that are affecting the experience of vaping or the, the clouds that are coming out, the, the vapor itself. Um, and then you've got, flavoring agents and things like that that are being added um uh, so getting into the terpene issue um then there are other things too that i worry about that will that are coming to light in states like california that are doing more extended testing like the fact that um certain vaporizer cartridges are leaching metals into the extract they're leaching other industrial components um glues and plastics you know all kinds of stuff into the extract um well you've got little rubber seals on exactly there. yeah I mean, who knows what exactly bpa is in there well and there's there's I already mean, been issues within the natural products world in tincture bottles of rubber uh dropper tops leaching into um into like mct based products that sort of thing um so uh so that's an issue another issue is revolves around the production process itself and whether the hoses and um, fittings and seals and things that the actual um, extractors are using are chemically compatible with the with the solvents and other materials that they're being exposed to and that can cause leaching in you know all sorts of other other issues so and then there's the question of you know when an extractor is sourcing their solvents to use for making an extract are those solvents clean um, how pure are they um, you know, going back to the GMP stuff, you know, the, in the United States, the FDA good manufacturing practices require that, um, you, you can't just, so several points when you're trying to find an ingredient for a product, one, you have to carefully vet your suppliers. You have to generally, this involves submitting them a quality questionnaire, trying to understand like, do you have a quality system who manages quality? How do you manage quality? All of these sort of things. Um, then there's, the part of 
vetting your ingredients. And one requirement under the FDA GMP rules is that you have to verify a certificate of analysis that you receive from a supplier. You have to have a reason to trust um, the test results that a supplier gives you. And that's an expensive process. And unfortunately, and this isn't just a cannabis industry thing, this is something that affects uh, the nutraceuticals and dietary supplement in- um, industries, uh, food industries. It, you know, it, it takes 30 to upwards of 100 grand or more to do that testing each year uh, to routinely um, verify your supplier's C of A's. So it's something that unfortunately gets skipped by, you know, a lot of companies. A lot of companies don't do that because it's so expensive and they do take the supplier's word for it that, you know, things are what they say they are. Unfortunately, um, you know, the case is that there's a lot of fraud going on um, everywhere um, in, in solvent production, in, you know, natural products, everywhere, everywhere there's a lot of fraud. If people can get away with something, they will. Um, and so you've got good players and bad players. And so, you know, if there are producers listening to this, you know, one, you really need to be looking at the FDA GMP rules and your operations really need to be GMP compliant. I mean, it's not just a like government regulatory thing. Like this is, these are industry best practices and ways of protecting your company and your consumers. Um, but you know, you need to be, um, verifying that your solvents and other, um, ingredients that you're using to make products are actually as clean as a supplier says they are. And in light of understanding um, some of these potentially problematic additives that are being added to extracts, um, you know, testing for those and being able to demonstrate to consumers that your products don't have those things in them. You know, what I fear, where things seem to be going, and I I actually think this is a bad idea, and I I don't like giving such a strong opinion about something like this, but it, it seems like we're moving towards a ban on on vape pens and that sort of thing, uh, flavored e-cigs and, and whatnot. And I, I'm not sure that that's the right way to go because, you know, from my perspective, it seems like, you know, the issue seems to affect black market products way more than legal products. Um, now products that make it into the legal market, that does not mean that they don't have vitamin E acetate in them or don't have absurd levels of terpenes in them that they shouldn't have, or don't have, um, different contaminants that aren't being tested for, but the risk is way higher on the black market side. Well, if he's just ban everything outright, do you think people are just going to stop consuming? Well, no, I think that pushes it again right into the black market hands and black market don't give a shit about you or your health it never has right never will it's going to be eagle 20 to the end (laughs) they don't have to test they're not required to test you're not going to require them to test and that's where everybody's going to go i i i I wouldn't do it well and i mean consider this too um so this is What I'm about to say is the case for a lot of different health risks of cannabis. The reason we're learning about some of these nuanced risks of cannabis is because people are willing to talk about it. Um, People are sharing more with their doctors about what they're using. Um, And a lot of that has come about because cannabis has been brought out of the black market um, and, and into a regulated system. If we push things back into the black market, you know, consumption is going to continue to happen. And those people are going to be very resistant to tell their doctors or other people that they're using those products. Well, and that's and, what concerns me not to interrupt you, but yeah. I have to fit this in. That's what concerns me about the info that they have on the, the carts now is not with the deaths and stuff, but 
these people, they, they don't have, these are not actual factual, necessarily factual information coming into the hospitals and stuff. When someone goes to emergency room and they've done, and it's a, from a cart and they admit to it, it doesn't mean that the information they're providing is accurate. Right, right. No, exactly. Yeah. Someone could go in there and have bought it from black market, mm-hmm. been too worried about uh whatever they think the repercussions are going to be. So they say they bought it from a dispensary. Right. Well, and that... There could be a lot of skewing is what I'm saying. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, that gets into the heart of this vaping issue is that there's just a lot we don't know. And we have to recognize that. And, you know, people are talking about vitamin E acetate and all these different things, but really we don't know. And the CDC has even said that currently there's not a consistent thread across all of these cases that lets them say this is the problem um and these kinds of things i mean they're complicated you don't know what these you know the people that have died from these issues you don't know what else they're doing um on the side if they're using other drugs what their lifestyle is like what their diet's like what their um, predispositions are you know genetically and other things um what their overall level of health you know was at the time um and to your point you know when someone says that, you know, this death was caused from uh, using a vaporizer cartridge from a dispensary, like, well, how do you actually know that? Um, Not too many people take receipts out the door. Right. I mean, I tell you that as a fact. I've been around dispensary, bought products a lot. And And it's not like you save your receipt to return it. Right, yeah. And and if you're going to tell me that you went into the hospital and told the whole truth, I just Maybe if you're in Oregon, you did, but if you're it's in highly a, unlikely, if you're in a, you know, and this is a problem with, with drugs in general and the way that we as a society currently handle drug use. I mean, this is a problem with overdose deaths in general, that people are afraid to call an ambulance if their friend yeah. is ODing on sure. heroin or something, you know, yeah. um, or even alcohol. Um, I, this is stuff that like I have friends of mine that have been in situations like this where they have witnessed someone dying and don't know what to do because they're scared of, you know, getting in trouble, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, obviously the issue with cannabis is a lot lighter than issues going on with people dying from alcohol and heroin. No, but But, we don't even know what if these kids were, what if they're under 21? Right. Touching on adolescent cannabis use um, the rise in adolescent cannabis use is not tied to herbal cannabis. It's a lot of it is vaporized vape pens. Um, that's well, and the, the way they package it. Come on. These big black market yeah. manufacturers, every single one of them is geared towards younger people. Yeah. yeah I every saw... one of them. And if you got one, that's not, I dare you to send it in my email. Yeah. Cause I I, saw... I've never seen it. I saw one of them is like a Sour Patch Kids um, ripoff, you know, all the packaging. Everything's and, um, a ripoff. Yeah. Everything from Cookie Monster to right. Mario yep. to serial uh, characters. Right, it's yeah. It's all a ripoff. It's, and it's terrible. It is. It's, it's really... And you think you're honestly getting like, <laughs> say, if you get a cart that has the Fruity Pebbles logo. Right. And and it's it's a fruity pebbles cart. Do you really think you're getting? Because if you really think you're getting fruity pebbles, even on even if you bought three of those carts, I bet it's three different kinds of product. Oh I mean, right, yeah, yeah. I, we can't push it back any further than it is. No, and we, people are still falling for black market. No, yeah, exactly. I mean, we need to be really careful about how we respond to this issue in general, and obviously. There's going to be a huge push for a ban. I mean, Trump has already 
said, you know, that they should be banned. And uh, Kate Brown, you know, governor here in Oregon is is considering that too um, and getting requests for that. Um, Yeah, I just, I I think the focus needs to be on um, how do we, how do we ensure that cons- the products that people are receiving in a legal market are of a known quality and how do we drive people towards those markets and away from the black markets? And the way to do that is not through banning. No. Pro- prohibition never has, the, never has that effect. No, uh, and actual factual education. Yeah. Not not political education, exactly. not yeah. agendized, whatever mm-hmm. the word is, education, but education is based on the latest, best facts we have. Other than that, you can't do much because we have a lot of bigger health scares besides vape carts. Right. I yeah. mean, if you look at the bottom line numbers, right. just, just smoking in general kills hundreds of thousands more people. Right. And it's a huge health scare, but we're not banning cigarettes. Right. We're, and not to mention like off-label pharmaceutical use and even intended right. pharmaceutical, you know, there's... It goes on and on. All, yeah, all, all sorts of things. And we've and, also learned in history with cannabis and alcohol and pretty much any other substance that um, prohibition does not work, especially when you go back and forth. Oh, right. That yeah. just pisses people off. Well, and consider why why some people are using vape pens. You know, it's not all young people that are trying to blow huge clouds of, of vapor and and you know, essentially get high discreetly in public. But, you know, it's also um, a lot of folks that can't smoke. Or who don't want to. What about these right now? My mom has never been a smoker until legalization and cartridges. And now she uses one to take one hit at night to go to sleep. Right, exactly. Yeah. Essentially a real medical use, nothing recreational. And it's her form that allows her to do it. Mm -hmm. She doesn't want to eat edibles. Yeah. She doesn't want to smoke. Yeah. And that's, that's the, a lot of older crowd are going to be exactly, appealed. Exactly. It's going to be appealing. Yeah. And so, you know, now we're, you know, talking about potentially taking that method of administration away. You know, I'm never a fan of reactive behavior. I like responsive behavior. I like, you know, intentional response, not a knee jerk reaction um, to a problem. But that's that's hard sometimes for people to accept because they want something done now. They want something done now. They Action. don't want things to continue. Yeah. And politically, you know, politicians are under a lot of pressure to act. And you know, I just don't. I don't necessarily think that's the best way. I, th- I think you know sometimes you might have to let things continue as they're going and collect more information, try to understand what the situation really is, and then figure out how to adjust the system. Um, to minimize those risks. Another thing is like, we can't avoid all risks um, with anything that we're, um, you know, that we're encountering in life. It's it's a balance. Like we can make things safer, but you can never make things totally safe. And you definitely are not going to make things totally safe through prohibition. Yeah, I just, I just, any if anybody's listening to this that has any power whatsoever, <laughs> um, I just doubtful. I, I, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, but you know, to everyone listening, you know, talk to your your representatives and and everything, and and let them know that like we've got to be really careful about how we react to this. We've got to move forward, not backwards. And you know, in my mind, you know, I want to see producers moving more towards GMP and taking pride in quality 
and um, doing testing above and beyond what's required to prove safety and use that as a marketing tool to stand out among a really crowded room. And and on another side, you know, the FDA is trying to catch up to the, some of the stuff because um, these things were already a concern when e-cigs hit the market and, you know, e-juice, all you know, the nicotine-based e-cigarette stuff was, was getting really popular. And so the FDA just this year, I mean, and I'm talking like, maybe a month or two ago, put together some information about additives that, um, you know, can't be in some of these products. And that's going to be mm, a that's list. Good. That's going to be a list that'll continue to grow as more information is known. And that list will, you know, certainly be extended to cannabis products as well. It's not just a nicotine thing. Um, it looks so. like that we're pretty much, if we go, if we deschedule or reschedule, um, that FDA is going to have the, yeah, I mean it's have the control. I mean, I mean that's, 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 that's what every everything that we consume, whether it be food, yeah, yeah, dietary supplements, yeah, yeah. cosmetics, pharmaceuticals, <laughs> the FDA regulates. Yeah. the The main thing when it comes to to talking about the FDA is, you know, there are basic rules set up about how uh, product manufacturing should happen, how marketing should happen, packaging, all these different things, and regardless of the federal legal status of something, you still ought to be looking at those rules and following them. Um, I mean, that's what a lot of the consulting that I do is about is sort of enlightening people to that. Like, are you aware that, you know, if you're making a food that like, regardless, you still have to follow this. I mean, the ODA in the hemp market, um, you know, if you're making a hemp infused edible, a CBD product or whatever. Um, for anyone that's been through an ODA safety inspection, uh, food safety inspection, you've maybe heard your, um, your, uh, inspector say this, but you know, they require you to meet GMP requirements that the FDA sets and the state of Oregon enforces those federal rules and make their state rules, um, to partner with those and sometimes go, you know, above and beyond or add clarity, you know, or expanded definitions and stuff. But it's, you know, this, this isn't something where you can say, oh, well, it's federally illegal. And, you know, I'm in a state where it's legal. So I don't have to worry about the FDA. Like, no, you still do. Yeah. Um, and the state will enforce that when they have the resources to the problem is that a lot of government agencies in all these states are stretched thin and yeah. don't have a lot of resources to do enforcement. That's not going to last forever. We know what the industry should do, could do, um, yeah. uh, can do, but as consumers, we obviously can't rely on that. So let's talk real quick. Let's end yeah. with how you know some common, some just safety practices that we can do as consumers. I do know yeah. this. I know with cartridges, especially with the THC CBD cartridges, a lot of these now producers offer. Um, they don't have to put any kind of cut in there. Mm -hmm. So like right. live resin, rosin cartridges, there's, there, there are mm -hmm. options that do not have anything but the concentrated material. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard. There's only so much you can do and, and there's no foolproof way um, of navigating these waters. But, you know, the first thing is avoid vape pens on the black market. Um, oh, for sure. I, I should have said that first. <laughs> like, that's, but I, I just assume that in my head. Right. Yeah. You know, but, that's just the know, basic one. It's right. got to be hard for illegal states, though. It, yeah. I get that because they are. Conv I mean, I could list a million different advantages to mm -hmm. them, 
and a handful of disadvantages, mm-hmm. pretty significant, but just a handful. And, uh, you know, for a legal state, I mean, I, I can see how it would be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Even I, for kids, you know, if I can, what if, if I was 17 again mm-hmm. and I had a cartridge I could hit in my bedroom, mm-hmm. none of you damn kids better do this. <laughs> and I could hit a cartridge in my bedroom and my parents most likely would never smell it. Right. Come on, man. Yeah. I mean, and then you're being marketed to it's it's got to be brutal. Yeah. But you got that's it's it's until it's, we know or until you're legal. It's bizarre for me to think about because these are things that when I was growing up, um, you know, these weren't options. This didn't exist. Right. And um, so I can only imagine what um, teenagers and, you know, young adults are are dealing with now as far as um, all of those temptations and everything. But, you know, I think obviously avoiding the black market stuff and you know, and that's hard, but I think, um, you know, if you're in a legal state, um, trying to understand how a dispensary is vetting the, um, the businesses that they choose to work with, I think is, is good to try to, you know, sometimes you can sniff out bullshit easily. Um, and sometimes oftentimes, the dispensaries that are trying to go above and beyond to identify good suppliers and do the right thing, you know, yeah, they might slip up here and there and they're, they're always learning, but you can usually tell the ones that are trying to do good work and trying to look out for their consumers and the ones that really could care less. Um, I think that that's a small thing that could be done. Just having some basic conversations. Well, um, and part of knowing the, the, the person behind the product uh, or the, the, the group or the company is that, you're going to have brands that stick out and then you're going to be able to stick with, you know, mm-hmm. know that you can stick with that right? and have some comfort. Yeah. And then, you know, like I said, trying to vet out producers and trying to understand what their quality standards are, what they're doing to manage the quality of their products. And, you know, these days you can, and with all of this coming to, you know, the forefront of everyone's minds, you can ask, you know, is this cut with anything? Once again, like, you could get a response that's not honest and you know, there's only so much you can, you can do about that. Um, you know, one thing I would say is if you're, you know, using a vape pen and it tastes funny, um, or is not sitting right with you, don't continue to use it. Uh, I've had some funky flavors come out of cartridges too. Yeah. Like just stuff that your body just right away says, Nope. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, (laughs) another thing to that too is, uh, when you're, when you're trying a new, brand honestly just with any new cartridge um sort of like the start low and go slow kind of model but you know take small drags and sort of taste it and make sure it seems you know okay that being said you may not taste a bad you know contaminant in there but it you know it is you know one thing you can try to do to um, try to catch some of that stuff. Pay attention to how your body's reacting to things. Um, Something simple to throw in too is if you have an adjustable battery. Yeah, use it. Oh, you and don't have to have it cranked up to the top notch. That's I mean, a really good point. Low temperatures. Yeah, I mean, reduce it. You're going to get better. a little bit better flavor, and you know, it's you don't need to choke and die. Yeah, it's not worth it to to get high. The other thing is, I mean, you don't need to do these huge drags um, where you're limiting your lungs exposure to oxygen for long periods of time just so you can blow out these huge clouds of vapor and everything. I mean, be aware that any time you're filling your lungs with something other than air, uh, that's a problem. Um, 
you don't want to get carbon monoxide poisoning, um, you know, much less exposure to other things, um, just to play around with, with vaping. It's just not worth it. Um, you know, so kind of summarizing, you know, pay attention to your body, smell something funky, taste something funky. Don't use it. Um, use, uh, start off with small drags, taste it. You know, I would also be careful when you're starting to get towards the end of a vape pen. Um, I've noticed it starts to change. Like it, it will, uh, yeah. not the flavor, but the, it the depends, yeah. it depends on the cartridge, um, and what components are, are in the cartridge. Um, it does start to taste a little metallic too. It can. Um, and depending on whether it's, a, if it's a cheap cartridge, sometimes you have things that will start to, um, um, combust or vaporize that are components of the vape cartridge mm-hmm. that you definitely do not want to just be wearing inhaling. out basically, right? Just yeah. breaking down. And so, you know, to be safe, you might have to, um, just sacrifice the last bit of oil that's in your, your vape pen, um, and just go ahead and get another one when it starts to get low. Um, you know, another thing is, Try to understand if you are in a legal state that requires testing, understand those testing rules and how products are being tested. You know, is an extract being tested before it goes into the vape cartridge or after? Those, like I mentioned, just talking about the differences between Oregon and California, that's a huge difference. California requires testing the extract after it's in the cartridge. Oregon requires testing the extract before it goes in the cartridge. You're much more likely to find contaminants that are gonna affect the end consumer in California's model than Oregon's model. Um, so, you know, I think that's that's important to understand. So, like, even if you see a C of A and it looks good, well, yeah, was that oil tested before it ever went into the cart? I mean, that's important to know. Yeah, and that's that's a big thing. I'm glad you brought that up. That's It's a huge thing. Is it tested in a cart, out the cart, before the cart? I yeah. mean, that's a huge deal. Right, yeah. Um, you know, so that's... And also, too, I often wonder what people add to it anyway if you've got a black market cart or Mm -hmm. are people making their own carts that's totally (laughs) possible i can go online to these places that sell vape pens and stuff and you can buy um you can buy cartridge pens Mm -hmm. that are refillable right for yourself yeah so i mean you know that's yeah i mean ideally you'd like to understand the quality of the cartridge itself and um, and then, you know, some other things to this too, it, you know, it's best to use a battery that is designed for the cartridge, um, because you can have issues with too much voltage, mm-hmm. you know, going sure. in and, and so then you get into temperature, um, issues that way too, things burning too hot or whatever. Well, and who knows um, what the resistance is of the coil in there. Right. Yeah. Absolutely change it. Um, and uh, you know, it's become kind of common these days. Uh, people were really sensitive about that issue early on and now people mix and match, carts and batteries and stuff all the time and to an extent it's it's not a big deal you just have to usually i don't know if you if you use vape pens enough you start to notice the different cartridges and the styles and and you can start to understand what you know typically goes with what but um um, keep things properly matched up and you know, honestly, some of the, there might be some things I've missed, but that's some of the big stuff that reasonably well, consumers could do. You could get into the weeds of trying to understand sure. producer methods. Yeah, and all no, that, I, but, I, you know, we've mentioned before the new brown frown is apparently going to be these carts, <laughs> right? So yeah. It's, well, and, you know, we've mentioned before we're spoiled here in Oregon as far as um, the availability of of different options. But if, you know, if you are in a state where like Oregon, where it's legal or medical's legal or whatever, and you have choices. You know, that's 
that's a pretty awesome um, um, opportunity. And, you know, go for the highest quality you can. I mean, you're, you know, we're talking about your health. That's what I mean. It, you know, it, you put the value that you want to put on your health is what you need to put into that cannabis right. for sure. Yeah. Um, and um, it's a good starting point. So curious about cannabis. Curious about cannabis. Yeah. Season so one. Season one. It's going to be coming. Um, coming out Halloween. Is that what it, the, you said? Uh, the end of October. Yeah, Are roughly we do the week like of a, the week of Halloween. It'll probably be that um, Monday or Tuesday of uh, the sweet. last week of October. I can't wait, man. I'm, I mean, I'm excited. I, I'm nervous. Really nervous, um, but excited uh, to finally get it out there. It's good that you had there. a build up. You know, when I started, I just jumped in. No one knew a damn thing about us. <laughs> Well, you've I got like two downloads the first week, you know. I was <laughs> Well, you've been happening. instrumental in in coaching me through some of that. I've learned a lot um from working with you and I appreciate that. Oh man, uh, I'm already learning stuff back. Good. Yeah, reciprocal. That's that's No, it's awesome. awesome and it's really nice to have somebody that knows what you go through. Yeah, that yeah. That are behind exactly. the scenes. Yeah. Cuz you know, no one else knows. Yeah, I mean, there's... They just think you put out a simple little episode at the, you know, whatever, yeah, weekly. And I feel like there's maybe like a, bo- makes a bonus <laughs> episode or something we should make sometime to tell some of the funny stories that we've run into of trying to make a podcast. Oh, that'd be great. Also, too, I've, I'm, I've got all these clips. I'm saving up all the just funny <laughs> stuff, like, you know. Yeah. I'm also, I'm wondering if I'm not going to get a full real clip of, like, all these cars. Oh I my have gosh, motorcycles, yeah, yeah. the roofer. I yeah. can make up a whole promo clip of just my all the all the cameos. interrupting noises. And, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's man, it is it is an interesting ride, but I'm I'm loving doing it. Like I said, That's I'm already awesome. already working on season two. Um, well, you're obligated now. So exactly. Last week of October, I've put it out there. It's yeah. happening. Um, so that first week, I'll I'll be putting out um, probably a, a couple episodes, if not a few, um, just to introduce it it'll probably be one or two episodes and one or two behind the scenes interviews and um and then there'll be clips and things on the youtube channel too so if you haven't checked out the curious about cannabis youtube channel already um look it up i've got clips from interviews already clips from our uh discussion um that we've had are are on there um just little things to give people a sense of uh, some of those behind the scenes discussions and um so yeah, um, look for that. You can already find the Curious About Cannabis podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, um, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Subscribe Podcast, if all you those. haven't subscribed already, then you'll know. Exactly. Yeah, go ahead and get subscribed. You'll get notified when the episodes come out. And you know, find us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, go ahead and connect with us. And you know, something I really want to encourage listeners to do when you know when the first season comes out, if you like it, like interact with us on social media and help me understand what you want to learn about uh, people you want me to interview uh, topics that you want me to explore um, because I really want to curate the content to feed the interests you know of, of everyone out there as best I can um, and so uh, you can you know kind of drive the show that way and then you can also you know if you're seeing what we're doing and you like it and you want to support the work and help me interview more people and upgrade equipment and all of that you can um support us on patreon as well through um our media company uh that the whole curious about cannabis brand goes through natural learning enterprises um you can go on patreon and become a curious about cannabis tier supporter and uh, for as little as one dollar and um it gets you access to early releases of the interviews and stuff so our our patrons have already been able to check out 
um, I think up to about six now of the full interviews, uh, well before they'll be released publicly um, in about a month. Um, that's, that's awesome too, man. Upfront content, getting all everybody excited. Well, you know, doing, and you know <laughs> doing what? what I can. Forget these starving college students, man. It's it's another ball game being a starving podcaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, that dollar a month will get an extra package or two of that ramen. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> it's, Please, send it's it this way. definitely a lot of unpaid work. And I <laughs> another thing I'll say is I, I don't, as of now, I, I don't deal with advertisers. So the way that I fund everything that I do with the podcast is out of my own pocket and through the supporters we have on Patreon. So I, I'll just right now I'll give a shout out to all of our, our patrons. I really appreciate your support and um, uh, probably wouldn't be, I would definitely would not have such a full season that I'm coming out with without that support. I mean, I was planning on maybe getting 10 interviews and trying to put together six to eight episodes and I've been able to do way more thanks to their support. So thank you. I really appreciate that. That's awesome. We can't wait for season two. Yeah, totally. Case about cannabis representing Oregon. Yeah, thanks, brother. Exactly. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, thank thanks you so much. Yeah, right. Take it easy, man.